Hey there, I'm Becca Campbell, your pediatric sleep consultant. Welcome to the Little Z Sleep Podcast, where I am committed to bringing you affordable and easy access for help to help your child sleep better. You see, this podcast is one way, one of many ways that Little Z's helps you make sleep a thing because you deserve to be a happy, healthy, and well-rested family. And this podcast, you will find episode and week after week, we're bringing you help to help your family, to help your sleep, to help your parenting journey. And this podcast is kicking off a series where I have asked doctors Jenna Elgin and Shauna Alvarez to come on once a quarter because y'all, the last time they were on this podcast, I think it was even just like last month, I have never received so many messages on Instagram or texts from friends saying how powerful our time was together. The last episode, we chatted through attachment-based parenting, attachment theories. It was such a rich episode. I ask you to go back to that one and take a listen, but you don't have to listen to these in order. You see, today on this episode, again, I've asked them to come back once a quarter, and I want them to talk through parenting trends that they're currently seeing on social media or out there in the world. So we talk through lots of different things. We especially camp out on timeout. That's a big one. But the biggest reason that I asked them to come today is to celebrate the launch of their new online course. They're going to tell us a little bit more about this, but head to the show notes so you can get the promo code. You can read more. This program is for you. If you are a parent who is just feeling overwhelmed with all the different information out there, you really want to have that happy and healthy and well-rested family. You know that these are tools that you want to implement. Guys, this is a program for you. So check out the show notes below to get the scoop and the promo code that they've offered to our listeners. Go ahead, jump in to this episode with doctors Jenna Elgin and Shauna Alvarez. Hey guys, welcome so much back to the podcast. This is going to be a, a new segment, a new type of little series. We're going to all just call it a mini series where I've asked helping families thrive to come once a quarter to really shed light and truth on parenting trends that you may see on Instagram. You may hear about in on the internet, but we really, really want to kind of break this down. So welcome doctors, Jenna and Shauna. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank, Thank you, you for so having much. us. Yay. So, okay, let's just dive right in. What are some of the parenting trends that you are seeing on social media? Yes. So um, we like to conceptualize it or think about it like this pendulum. Um, so back probably when we were being raised or when our parents were being raised, there was this idea that kids should be seen and not heard, spare the rod, spoil the child. Um, yeah, you know, compliance was very emphasized in that and likely a lot of harsher parenting practices went along with that more physical discipline and those type of things and over the last you know 30 years because of some really great research uh you know kind of suggesting that we need more warmth in parenting um that pendulum has swung over here but it's like gone really far yeah, to this purely positive parenting sometimes not not everything is obviously this but you can see some of that where children don't need consequences and if you do that it could potentially damage your relationship and everything you need to do is all about the attachment with your child and it's leaving some parents feeling really anxious because they're feeling like 
I don't know how to set boundaries without damaging my child or my relationship with my child. And that extreme purely positive parenting isn't actually what's found in the research to be the most effective way to parent. And so we're trying to kind of think about, well, what does the research say and how can we find balance? Because the research actually shows that warmth is super important. So that really that positive warmth engaged relationship, but it paired with firm boundaries. So you have to have both of these components to, to kind of lead to the best outcomes for kids. That makes really total is, sense. There's a huge body of research on this, right? So, you know, when we think par- uh, parenting styles are typically kind of scored or rated on two, two dimensions, which is warmth and control, right? And so if Jenna, I always mess this up without having a visual in front of me, so <laughs> jump in. But, you know, if you have uh, high warmth and low control or low boundaries, right, low expectations, it's typically called permissive parenting, right? If you have low control, low, you know, low boundaries and low warmth, this is a kind of dismissive or neglectful parenting. Um, if you have high control and low warmth, so lots of boundaries and not a lot of warmth and emotional connection. That's authoritarian parenting. And I think this is when Jenna was talking about the pendulum in the past. That's where things were, right? Now, when you combine high levels of warmth with high levels of expectations, boundaries, and control, you have what's called authoritative parent. No, author- yes, authoritative. Yes, yes. I always mess up. They really should have <laughs> made them sound more different. Um, but authoritative parenting. And study after study keeps finding that that, that overlap, that balance between warmth and boundaries has consistently the longest, uh, the long-term outcomes that we're looking for in kids, right? Like better social development, healthier relationships, lower rates of depression and anxiety. I think there's been a lot of good work done to point out kind of the dangers of authoritarian parenting, right? What can happen? And I want to point out, you're not just authoritarian or not, right? Like a lot of us vacillate from one to the other or... (laughs) You know, or we do the work that we need to do to change our parenting style over time, right? But, you know, there is, there's a lot of outcomes or a lot of research, for example, on, you know, physical discipline being associated with increased aggression in kids, right? So there's a lot of work. I think those findings have become more generally accepted, right? I think what hasn't been highlighted as much and what we're seeing is what happens when there's high warmth but not firm boundaries, right? Um, And so things that can fall more into this permissive area are also not associated with good outcomes, right? It's beautiful to have warmth with your child. It is necessary to have good outcomes, but it is not sufficient, right? You can't can't use warmth to teach every every single lesson. That's not it. And so permissive parenting, you know, it's it's associated in research with um, lower kind of emotional growth, lower emotional development, lower coping strategies long-term, increased anxiety, um, increased what we would call academic entitlement, right? So when kids get to college, really struggling with this idea of like, oh, how am I going to cope with this being hard for me? How am I going to cope with a professor, you know, not processing every emotion I have in response to me just not doing the work I needed to do? So again, we're coming back to balance. And, and that's what we're trying to bring people, right? There's, there is, there's lots of evidence-based programs on how the methods that work to strike that balance and come to 
authoritative parenting. I always <laughs> mess it up. Um, uh, but some of the things that are out there right now aren't focused on that middle area. Yeah. That, it makes a lot of sense when you're talking about like 30 years ago where the pendulum was and like kind of where we are now, because actually that's kind of what I felt was like, I mean, I was told many times when, you know, adults would come over or be around like groups of people like, now don't speak until you're spoken to. And I hated that so much. That's how my dad was raised. And so that's what he imparted on us. And then when we started, you know, thinking about having a family, that was like one of the first things I told my husband, I was like, I will never, ever, uh, you know, make my children think that they don't have a voice because it took me a long time to get to where I, I felt comfortable talking to grownups and adults mm. like that, that was something that really was difficult. And if other people 30 years ago were probably also being said that, then I could see how then you get over here and you're like, you have a voice, talk whenever you want. But then that also translates to the clients that I see. And then there was um, a question that I used to have in my one-on-one um, consoles that talked about something about, um, tell me about dinner time and uh, roles and things like that. And that's when the parents would open up and be like, oh, well, you know, it's basically whatever the child wants, right? Like um, if they just want goldfish for dinner, they get goldfish dinner. You know, it's like now it's over there instead of where, mm-hmm. you know, I was raised with like, you must drink your whole cup of milk over here to like, <laughs> oh, you want exactly. juice? Oh, you want goldfish? Oh, you don't want that? Okay. And so like, I understand, like, I understand how people have gone from this and now they're like way over here. But I, I think um, finding that balance, obviously parenting is hard finding that balance, that's hard too. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, we study parenting kind of from this overarching behavioral perspective, but the same things come out when you look at feeding and, um, you know, the division of responsibilities with feeding is that, you know, the parents choose the food and when, and then the child gets to choose if and how much they eat. So again, it's coming back to the boundaries. We're not a short order cook and making them whatever they want, but we're also not forcing them to eat. So it is that high level of boundaries, right? This is when you're being offered food. This is what is being offered, but then you're not forcing them to eat. And I would guess that sleep is probably pretty similar. And we also know this in the anxiety research that kids that have a tendency to have more anxiety that we, you know, sometimes we'll see things online where it's like, never push your child. They'll go when they're ready. And I'm like, well, I work with many 13 year olds who um, don't actually want to go to school. And, and haven't gone to school for a year and a half for two years because they won't leave the house. They're not ready. And we <laughs> actually sometimes have to set more boundaries around it. Yeah. So I think that's our concern is that sometimes we're getting really good at the warmth. And and I think parents then start to be like, well, what's wrong with our warmth and our relationship if my child isn't doing this? And it might be way more related to just like a normal, a child testing boundaries or a developmental difference or, you know, a whole a temperament. And it's not that there's a damaged relationship, but they're like, well, we must have better connection and, and feeling a lot of guilt and anxiety about that. Yeah. The division of responsibility and sleep is like, I say the same thing. Like, you know, your child's awake times, like, like I'll pick on Arthur, right? Like Arthur can only be awake for this long, right? Like that's, (laughs) and then your responsibility is just to put him into the crib. It is on him to fall asleep. And that kind of goes back to what we were in the beginning chatting about is like, but so many parents are getting so stressed out about, but they're not falling asleep, but they're not falling asleep. It's like, well, 
you can't force them to, okay? Yeah. Like you can offer it, but it's up to him to like close his eyeballs. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, part of what can happen too, if you grip to this, um, this idea of being purely positive or purely responsive all the time or processing every single challenging behavior that happens is you actually end up acting in a way that is contrary to your values that set you on that path to begin with, right? So we see this phenomenon where parents that really are, they set out to be really democratic in their parenting, really positive in their parenting, actually end up, there's a great study done um, that, you know, parents reported that they weren't doing uh, timeouts and, you know, the reasons for it, and which is a totally valid choice, right? But the reasons for it were wanting to be more gentle in, in their parenting and such. And they actually tended to yell the most. And, um, right, because you can only white knuckle through all of this for so long, right? We, we've talked about this as the purely positive parenting volcano, right? We're like, I, I hear you. I'm there for you. I hear you. I've been so nice to you all day. I'm trying so hard just to then, you know? <laughs> it's something's got to give, right? So that's where science is really interesting. There's a difference between saying, here's this ideal over here and what we call implementation science. And implementation science means like, how do you translate a philosophy that might technically sound good into, to, to account for human nature, right? For something to be effective, you have to be able to implement it, right? Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I don't think anybody can be positive <laughs> and responsive all day. That's just, you know, not going to be effective. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, we, we do have the research to show that, you know, yelling and harshness, which is where that purely positive, and I've, I've been that parent, right, where mm -hmm. then I explode, oh, yeah. like, those are the things that we know are less desirable in terms of child outcomes. And usually, or a lot of times parents are, are doing this because they're trying to avoid something like timeout, which has actually never been shown to be damaging. Not so we're trying time. to avoid something that has actually been shown to be really effective and lead to good outcomes. And then we're actually ending up doing something that, that over time can be harmful. And it's like, we have it almost have it backwards. And um, yeah, it is, you know, we I fall victim to the same thing where it's like, I want to be responsive all the time. And then I'm like, I, I need to pull back a little bit because when I do that, then that's when I have a tendency when I'm not setting the limits as effectively of exploding and being ineffective. Right. So can we pick on timeout for a second? Because you guys did an amazing post about it um, that was like shared a whole bunch. And it is something that is like the taboo word. It's like, oh, they time out. I don't know. I'm anti-timeout. But then like, why are you anti-timeout, right? So what, what does an effective timeout look like then? You know, we're not saying that every family should do timeout or that it's the right thing in every situation at all. We are just wanting to share what the research shows and allow families to make the right choices for them once they have the accurate information. Rather than something in response to, our, you know, uh, misinformed fear mongering, right? Where it's like, if you do this, you will damage the the relationship with your child. Well, let's look at what the, the research actually says and present that to you. Not the research on mice, right? But the research on kids that actually get an effective timeout. Let's look at that research and then and then make the choice. Um, so so the let's give the context on the timeout war, I think, a little bit. Um, 
essentially, and, and we shared this post and we can share it again with you guys. And, and let it be said that Jenna and I, I don't think slept well for a while before posting this. And we're told by many people, like, you're going to talk about what? Right. Which is crazy, you know, and we got messages from other clinicians like, oh, good luck, you know. Because all these um, clinicians are teaching it. All these evidence-based clinicians are teaching time out behind the scenes, but they're like, you can't share about that on social media. <laughs> You're going to get destroyed. But then it's like the right. opposite is going to happen. Then because you don't talk about it, then all this like, like you said, all the fluffy stuff is going to be shared. And you're like, but that's not even right. Yeah. Right. And the moment that you, you know, that you have to go from getting all your parenting advice on social media to reaching out to a psychologist who's trained in evidence-based practice, when they suggest, you know, setting some boundaries and, and using an actual evidence-based timeout, you, you know, you're going to be a bit shocked. So we just wanted to take that stigma out of it. Um, so all of this started essentially with, well, there was an article published um, flashy headline that was time out will time out is damaging your child. Is that what it was, Jenna? Time Something out is damaging, like that, damaging yeah. or harming time out is damaging. That was the headline. Um, and proceeded to describe, uh, that, you know, science shows, this is what was claimed as science shows that, um, that timeout is, is damaging your child is harmful for your child. Very like scary type of article. And it was published and shared. I mean, it spread like wildfire. There was so much written about it. And then very soon after, the actual scientist who had given this original interview gave a, gave a, a second opinion of themselves, essentially. And were like, that's not actually what we meant to have represented. You know, actually, when timeout, timeout is part of most evidence-based parenting programs, and when it's used in this way, it's actually very effective and healthy. But of course, by then, by the time they had that second, more kind of like measured um, statement, the first one had already spread like wildfire, right? And so it was kind of too late. And again, science doesn't sell because it's not flashy. Nuance and and kind of more moderate stances tend not to sell because they're not as flashy, right? There's not as much dopamine flowing when, when we hear something kind of measured. So so this started this huge wave. And, and when we look at the, the science that they were citing in that initial interview, the, what they were citing to make that claim was not a study on children. It was not a study on timeout and it had nothing to do with parenting. So this is the study that it was based on. They took a group of college students and they had the college students play a video game. And their character in that video game was left out of a ball game. They, they experienced some being left out. And when you experience in a video game being left out, a similar part of your brain lights up as if you were experiencing some level of physical pain. So physical pain and emotional pain are, are related somewhat neurologically, right? The, which is so interesting. That's so cool. Um, the problem is that that very interesting and so cool study of this one particular thing was then like, so therefore, if you give a timeout, that's like child abuse. Whoa, that's a problem. That's a big jump, Right. Um, and those authors that gave that interview basically retracted that level of the interpretation. So that's how all of this started. Most timeouts are done like by the layperson ineffectively. They're done wrong. Because when we think of timeout, Jenna, what do we think of? Right? Go to your room. <laughs> and that in no way, shape or form is an actual evidence-based timeout. What that tells us is that we as clinicians and researchers and scientists are doing a really crap job 
of getting the accurate information out to people, right? Like people like, okay, timeout works. And so they do this version, this 1980s version of it by saying, go to your room. And the kid's there for like two hours, right? That's actually not an evidence-based timeout at all. So if, if a tool is being used incorrectly, we don't just throw out the tool. What we do is we look at our community and we say, gosh, we need to teach parents how to use this tool better. And we're not going to shy away from calling the tool what it is. So Jenna, do you want to walk through what like an actual evidence-based time? Yeah. So, I mean, so in the, it is actually implemented slightly different in different programs. So it, it, I think that's good for parents to know that there's an evidence-based type of timeout, but it's not so specific that if you, you know, if it's two minutes versus four minutes, that that's going to be problematic. Not going to damage your attachment. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, some, some studies do, you know, timeout length is one minute per year of age. Some have it be just a flat five minutes, something like that, but it's a short duration. They're generally in the same area as where the, you know, the child had the infraction, uh, you know, aggression or not, you know, significant noncompliance, um, but they're being removed slightly from that. So there's a spot where a child has to sit and get regulated. I think the difference between a timeout and a time-in is this, I, I think with time-in in the social media world, it's kind of this processing of emotions with the adult where the child has a lot of control over how that interaction looks. And with a evidence-based timeout, the adult is more in charge of it. So um, the adult is the one setting the beginning and end of timeout. And it's very calm. It is implemented. Um, you know, it's not this, there's no yelling and the child has practiced beforehand. It's an expectation. They know what is going to lead to a timeout and it is short in duration. So, you know, two, three minutes of, of calmness. And then the child comes back. There's no rehashing the problem. There's no, um, you know, you did this and that's why you went there. It's, Hey, are you ready to come join us? Your body looks calm. Come on out. We're ready to have you again. Some of our favorite studies that we've, we've based some of our timeout information on are where they actually look at all the different ways that timeout are attempted and, um, and what are actually the most important tenants, right? Even if the incredible years, which is one evidence-based top evidence-based parenting program, and let's say triple P positive parenting, another top evidence-based parenting program, they might have slight differences. They're, they're both equally effective because they follow these basic tenants, which is, you know, that the parent is in charge of sending the child to timeout. It's not just that the child decides when they need a break. That's a great goal. Once kids, you know, start with a parent-initiated timeout, typically after practice, you'll see kids, you know, most of my kiddos that I work with will eventually start to say like, I need a break from you. Or like, I'm going to timeout. And they put themselves there. But the Remember when my, when Edie put herself in timeout? Yeah. Came up during a business call and she was like, mom, what was it? My energy's too big or my... She said, I have to take a timeout. I hit the dog. <laughs> this is my two-year-old. Yeah, I have to take a timeout. And she wasn't like what crying or mad at herself. I could see that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, to expect, to expect that without having been taught that is an unrealistic expectation developmentally, right? So, so that's the first key tenet is that the adult decides where it is and when the kid goes that it's clearly explained and practiced beforehand in a non-shaming way. You know, sometimes when our bodies are unsafe, we need space to calm down. This is where your calm down space will be. I will tell you when you need to go. And then when your body is calm for two minutes, you can come out. Something to that effect, right? And you practice rocket ship breathing. <laughs> and then 
you decide when they are released. And then a big part of it is that there's no rehashing. So this is kind of that purely positive parenting volcano phenomenon we see again. Some of the parents I see that are really nervous about trying a timeout, you know, if we, if we get there, which I'll, I'll talk about again, because not every family even needs to use it. But if we get there, um, they also are the families that want the most to rehash the infraction when the child gets out. So the parents that are the most afraid of damaging their kids tended to be the ones that were like, you know, really doing a lot of revisiting the extent to which that child's infraction was harmful afterwards, which is, can be pretty shame inducing. And this idea is more like, whoa, sometimes, you know, brains start going really fast and, and we need to go put the brakes on over here and then come back, you know, which happens to everybody. <laughs> and then you have a clean slate and start again. So those are the basic tenets of a timeout. The specific, you know, and scripts and stuff are, are things that you would need to consult the individual program for. But if you're following those basic tenets, you're doing an evidence-based timeout. It is not in their room. It is not for 40 minutes. It's a short duration of time till their body is calm and safe and you start again. Yesterday, um, my oldest daughter, who's six, she is very much, um, if things are too loud, she doesn't like it. If things are, you know, so her classroom of uh, where we are, it's full classroom. It's like 21 kids. So, and she will constantly tell me, she went to the nurse one day. She's like, my head hurts too loud. So she told me yesterday, she goes, mom, they taught me a breathing technique. And I was like, okay. I love it when we get this stuff. Yes. And she was like something like she took her hands and I know that our podcast can't hear me, but I mean, can't see me, but y'all can't. She like took her hands and was like, <laughs> like moving her fingers down. And she That's was so like, sweet. I did that a lot today. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. How cool is that, that it's six. And I think in general, like our education system has really started to learn that social emotional skills matter. And so like my kids come home, the same thing, you know, they're, they're coming. I learned mountain breaths today. I learned a birthday and I'm like, great. Thank you school. This is so great. The expectation that they're going to use that in a timeout right away is a bit unrealistic. (laughs) They they eventually do. They learn Mm -hmm. to soothe. They learn to soothe. And, And I was saying before that not every family, you know, we were talking about warmth and boundaries before. Every evidence-based intervention in parenting starts with the warmth piece and the prevention of challenging behaviors, right? Teaching new skills, strengthening the relationship. And timeout comes at the end of the program, typically, right? And so this is not one of the big things that can be done wrong in timeout based on this research, too, is that it's done too often, Right. And so, and so that's a problem. You're not supposed to be giving, you know, 20 timeouts a day. Of course not. If you're using these other skills, timeout only works when you're using the, uh, the other research tools that go with it. If that's your only disciplinary go-to, you're not going to use it effectively. It's the same thing about where I hear parents say like, I mean, well, I've tried locking the door and I've tried flipping the door handle around, or I've tried doing baby gate by the door, all these things to like keep their kid in the room or keep their kid in the bed but there's no foundation of like, yes, but do you have the right time? Are you doing a bedtime routine? Do you have a clock that signals when it's time for night? And when it's, it's like, they just, they'll they'll jump straight to the consequence piece. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I understand that that's like, it seems like that could be the solution, but it's really just a bandaid on top of everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I would love to hear about, you've kind of mentioned these programs as you're talking through all of this that would help you lay that foundation. So 
what kinds of programs are available and what kinds of programs are coming. Ah, <laughs> yes. So um, there are four top level evidence-based programs and you can figure out how much evidence a program has from this clearinghouse website and you can search for them. And so that's actually what Shauna and I did because we found that there was this gap in social media and in like the lay person doesn't know about some of these evidence-based programs because they're often done in mental health clinics and don't have big marketing budgets. <laughs> and so we wanted to look at those and Shauna and I have taught them for many years. So we're well-versed particularly in one of them, but we wanted to know what else is out there. And we studied those. We looked at those top four evidence-based programs and said, what are the core components of these? And we listed those out and we said, wow, they share a lot of commonality, right? They have different names for them. They might do it in slightly different order. Some are, you know, meant to be individual with a clinician and some are more in this group setting and some are have an online program. So there's different modalities, but they overlap a ton. And so we said, let's look at those core components and do an educational program for parents so that parents can get these common evidence-based tools. And that is what we created in our program, which is called Parenting Essentials. And it launches March, pre-sale March 8th and live um, where you'll be able to start watching on March 15th. Yeah, I'm so excited about this. <laughs> it was so fun to me. I don't think Jen and I had been this energy, you know, like <sighs> during like a pandemic to make it right. We were, we were obsessed with it. Because it's everything we've been studying for years and everything we've been doing in clinic for years. And, and the idea of taking everything that typically only families would have access to if they make an appointment and just being like, hey guys, like this isn't this isn't like a secret. We don't own these tools, right? Here, here it is. Like all of these top, really, really highly researched programs, they have these basic tenets. And knowing those to me is so related to addressing the the anxious gripping that we see, right? Because we've talked about this before being kind of like, you know, if you know those basic tenants, then you have a compass to get you through your parenting journey, right? Like you're like, okay, I know where due north is. I need to go approximately there. And then everything else you hear, all these parenting philosophies or belief systems or whatever, you know, attachment parenting, gentle parenting, conscious parenting, those might all be really cool paths up the same mountain. That's, that's great right? We're not going to tell you which route to take to go north. <laughs> exactly. But if you use these basic core tenants, right, and you have an understanding of what effective and ineffective parenting tools are, then you kind of know, okay, my path might look a little different, but I am heading due north. And I can also, I'm savvy enough. I feel like a really empowered parent. If I hear something out there on social media, and I know that doesn't seem to line up with what is stated by every single top evidence-based parenting program, you're going to take pause before letting that keep you up at night. Oh my gosh. That is such a good measure of what people can get out of this, right? Because that is like, we kind of opened up with that stressor of like, oh my gosh, I've just got to be aware of everything. Right. I mean, no, like this is, like you said, these are the core things that are, you know, truthful and factual. So this course that's coming, Parenting Essentials, what ages can this, what, what age could you start this at? Who's it meant for? Is there a particular age that's like, oh, this is the sweet spot? 
So it's for parents uh, or caregivers of kids ages two to 10 would be like the sweet spot for this course. Some of the things you could start a little bit younger um, and a lot of the skills are going to get you even beyond age 10, Um, but they're not going to address maybe if you have a 13 year old, some of the stuff might not be exactly where you'd want to start, or there might be some things for a teenager that you would want to think about. Um, So two to 10 is our main age range, Um, any parent. So that's another reason we wanted to do this is that a lot of these evidence-based programs are like for clinical level of problems. And so they're in mental health clinics and a lot of families just need a parenting plan, right? Uh, You know, you a lot of people get married or have a partner and they're coming from different backgrounds and then they have a baby and it's like, whoa, like, why don't we have a plan for this? And entrepreneurs, when they start a business are like, here's my business plan. This is what I'm going to do. And we don't do that with parenting. And the only time you hear the word parenting plan is usually like in divorce. And like, so why don't we back that train up <laughs> and give parents a business plan and say, here's a plan, get you and your partner on the same page, go through this and learn what the research really says and have some really specific tools that you can use in your home. Oh my gosh. At two years old, right. It was more like 18. Ellie was very strong-willed. So like 18, 20 months is when Hattie, uh, her younger sister was born. And I remember looking at Chad and being like, oh my gosh, we have to discipline. <laughs> like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, I don't know what we're going to do. And the, the, like, just, yeah. And be like, oh my gosh, I got to say, no, I think, is that what I'm doing? Like, you know, it's just that, like, that is like, right. Not, not the wheels don't fall off, but right. Like 18 to 24 months, you really start to realize like, oh shoot, I got to figure this out. I've been so concerned with like their eating and their sleeping and their pooping. And now like, oh, I have to discipline you. Right. And I have to like teach you right and wrong. And that is such the formative time to get started. Oh man. You know, something that we've thought about as we go into this and we were creating the course is how do we, how do we make this accessible to more people in, in such that if you came from more of a background that might've had this harsher parenting style, like, you know, if you have a a partner and you have, you might have one parent that came from this background and one parent that came from the opposite background, or they've interpreted, you know, their, their harsh childhoods differently. One is like, I turned out good enough. Let's do what I, what my parents did. And the other parent is like, that was really hard for me. I was a sensitive kid. We have to be gentle all the time and don't yell and no, right. And then they're at each other. And not only, you know, so, so what do we know? We know that high marital conflict or relationship conflict with kids isn't great for kid outcomes, right? It's actually more harmful than, than divorce or separation or, or being, a, you know, all of the, you can be healthily divorced or single and, and raising a parent, uh, raising a parent, <laughs> raising a kiddo, but having lots and lots of conflict in front of your kids is, is tough for kids to emotionally process. What else do we know? Inconsistent parenting between co-parents or members of the parenting team also leads to poorer outcomes, right? So if you have a kiddo that's already, like you said, strong-willed or a spicy kiddo, and then you guys are inconsistent, you got a good good cop, bad cop, or one that tends to be a spicier parent, for example, um, then that is more likely to make those behavior issues that the child has when they're younger get worse over time instead of better. So we were like, okay, parents can come together without needing to schedule an appointment necessarily, right? And just be like, okay, let's, let's watch this together, whether you're parenting from one house or two, and agree that these are the basic tenets, right? We can add our own flavor to that. We are not parenting robots. You can be animated. You can be reserved. 
you can verbal process a lot, you cannot use a lot of words, and you can still abide by these basic tenets of evidence-based parenting. That's so good to, to also know about that because I do think that um, I always say like kids aren't robots, like, and, and you're right, like parents aren't robots either. And you should be able to apply things and to your unique family and what you're you know, trying to, to raise up. This is so important. And I, I will say it again. Um, what a great time to be alive that we can like get help with this. You know, like my mom mm-hmm. is that mom, that grandmother who's always like, well, we didn't have that growing up, you know, <laughs> and like all these things. I'm like, yeah, but my life's awesome because I have these things, right? Not that, you know, your life wasn't, but just the ability to have tools and, and social media has changed the game on that. And so having a program like parenting essentials to be the, the, the guiding, like truth and like, okay, this is what's actually, like you said, this is what's actually a real for true. As my four-year-old would say, this is like, what's real for true. And this that. over here is like, you know, that you see on social media, like we can now take that and be able to become a lot more um, smarter and wiser to what we're you know be exposed to. So this is going to be so helpful. Um, and this episode is actually going to release right at about the pre-sale uh, time for you guys. So if you're listening, just scroll down the show notes and we'll link it for you. But this is awesome. I'm so excited for this. And to be, you know, I think one of the things that we, there's so much good stuff out there on social media, you know, it's not that everything is wrong or anything like that. I think it's just this, you have to have a level of scrutiny when you're looking at it. And there's so much that we're continuing to learn about parenting. And we are all about that. We're all about looking at, this is so interesting, this approach here. Our biggest pause is when people will make claims like research shows without a citation or, you know, you will damage your child if um, without, you know, (laughs) any support for that, Mm -hmm. that, um, but different perspectives, those are all great. All the different parenting philosophies, gentle parenting, conscious parenting, positive parenting. These are all really wonderful things. And um, we can all kind of have our own, like Shauna said, our own route up this mountain, um, following these basic tenets of warmth and boundaries, right? So however we choose to do that, we're, as long as we've got those pillars, we're doing a good job. Right. Where we want to be cautious is, is when somebody says like, oh, don't turn left there. If you do that, it's going to damage you and your child forever. Right. And that's where we want to be like, oh, we're getting, we're getting off of due north here. <laughs> right. We need a compass. Let's, let's head back up that mountain. Right. Yeah. I love that. Well, congratulations on this Thank course. You. I know you guys have poured your heart and soul into it. And that's, what's also really excited about is to hear that you're like, you're passionate about building it because it's going to be an incredible experience for someone. So I'm so excited. It's going to be awesome. Jenna, did we get the discount code also to Yes, we have a discount code for your listeners, Becca. Do you want that now or do you want that after? Um, I believe it's HFT little Z. Mm -hmm. That's correct. That's awesome. HFT little Z. So that'll give um, 20% off of the the pre-sale price as well for listeners. Oh, fantastic. we're very excited for feedback from everyone. So we hope. Yay! Well, I can't wait to dig in because I want to know more about all of this. I'm always, uh, you're all, everything that you guys share on Instagram is already so good. So it's like, what's you're giving for free is already going to be so good. I know what's going to be, and this is going to be even better. So thank you guys for joining us today and sharing thank all this. For having super, us. super good. No, thank you as always, Becca. Good to see you. 
Thank you guys so much for being here. I am excited for the next time that Drs. Jenna and Shauna come join me. And who knows what we'll be talking about because it's literally going to be based off of the social media world. We're just going to take whatever's happening out there in the world and break it down, talk truth and bring the facts together. So I'm excited for the next time they will join me next quarter on the podcast, but you can grab their course. Go ahead, pre-sale it right now. Of course, if you're listening to this after March 11th, when this podcast goes live, then you can grab it. It's ready for you. Don't forget to use code HFT, little Z, to save 20% off of your course. Grab it. You are not going to want to miss this. Scroll down in the show notes. Click buy now. Use code HFT, little Z, to save 20%. Sweet dreams. See you next time.